Hear now the very word of God as it is given to us in the first epistle of Peter, reading from the first chapter, verses 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And may the Lord bless this reading of his word to our understanding this evening. Let's ask him to bring it alive. Our dear Lord, we know that by the very profession of faith that we make in Jesus Christ, that we are called, we're commanded to be children of holiness. And I pray, dear Lord, that as we look at this text in Peter and we talk about what it means that each one of us in our hearts will look towards the new year and plot a path, plot a path or a course so that we might increase in our holiness to be molded into the likeness of your son rather than to the culture that is around us, giving you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, most of you who are, who are here know that over the last few years, we have had sort of a, a tradition on New Year's Eve. We kind of have a, a series going where every year we, or I look for someone or some group or some event in Scripture that sort of is of people whose backup is, is up against the wall, like ours is. I mean, there's no way we can go back to 2020 and most of us wouldn't want to, but we have to go ahead. We have to move forward. And so therefore, that's, that's been sort of our focus. And, and it's not that we're not going going to keep with that focus this evening, but only in a sense, because I want to continue to talk about the subject that we've been talking about for quite some time now, which is holiness. Now, I know I told you Sunday that we were, I'd come to the end of this part of this little mini-series, but I, I began to think about what I was going to talk about this evening, and I realized I had left out a very important aspect of the discussion of holiness, which is our holiness, which is the holiness of those who are called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ and the command that is on our lives, the calling that we have to be children of holiness. Now, in a sense, we're continuing with that same idea because when we talk about becoming Christians, we're talking about a life change and a life change that doesn't allow you to go back to the way that you were, to no longer be conformed to the mold of the world, but rather to be conformed to the picture of Jesus and to the word of God that we have. And so we're sort of on the same track. Now, I'm going to sort of skip over our context a little bit. I always try to put things in context, but there's so much context to this particular message that I could spend all night just talking about trying to bring us up to speed because I'm sort of melding together two series. One is this series that we've been having on holiness, but the other, and you may not remember this, but we did have a series going before this pandemic hit on Sunday night of 
the epistles of Peter. But just to sort of bring it to get us started here, you know that when we talk about holiness, we've been talking about God's holiness mainly, but we've talked about his holiness as far as love is concerned, his grace is concerned, as far as worship is concerned. We've talked about the kingdom of holiness and actually the eschatological uh, kingdom of heaven where we will be worshiping him for an eternity. Well, this morning, I want to talk about, I'm sorry, this evening, I want to talk about our own personal holiness. But we're going to find that the same sort of themes that we've been talking about as far as God is concerned, and in particular, the fact that God is both transcendent, which means he is separated from his creation, and imminent at the same time, wants to be in the midst of his creation. And the way that we applied that last Sunday to the kingdom of heaven, we're going to apply that same concept to what it means to be a child of holiness tonight. But at the same time, we're going to 1 Peter. And let me just tell you what's going on at this stage in the epistle of Peter. The first 13 verses, pretty much, Peter is extolling the exalted salvation that God has given us. The amazing redemption that he has offered those in the hope that it, of what it means to be a Christian. And that's the backdrop to what he's going to say in our passage this evening. Because it is we are called into this holiness and this relationship with God because of this amazing redemption that he has afforded us. Now, before we go to Peter, let me just kind of zip back a little bit and put this into the context of our study of holiness because we have spent an awful lot of time at Mount Horeb and the children of Israel after coming through the Red Sea standing before God to worship him in that place. And the reason I want to go back there is because last Sunday we talked about the eschatological kingdom and what we're going to be doing for an eternity. But when we talk about what went on at Mount Horeb, we're talking about the here and now. And our discussion tonight is going to be on the here and now. And so that's a good place to ground us. Now, if you remember, just before God called those children of Israel to himself, brought them in front of the mountain of Horeb, came down upon the mountain to give them the Ten Commandments, this is what he said to them, or to Moses to say to them. He said, now, therefore, if you will indeed be, obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so we see there that when God called these people, the amazing redemption that he afforded them by bringing them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, we talked about that, he calls them to be a people set apart, set aside, holy to the Lord, his treasured possession. And very much of what he did there on that mountain was to come down in his eminence and explain to them exactly what it meant to be holy. We read his Ten Commandments earlier. But there were many other laws and and, um, and not only the laws to keep, but the atonement of, of how those sins would be forgiven when they did not keep them. But in essence, what he is telling the people is, I want you to be holy. 
Just like he says in Leviticus, and this is the Old Testament text that Peter is quoting. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so when they get ready to come before him to receive those Ten Commandments, God says to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them. Set them aside for my sacred purposes. In fact, the word holy or holiness or consecrate is used something like 80 times in the book of Exodus. It's a very important aspect of what God intends to happen in his worship and what he expects from his people. So with that as a background, let's fast forward to Peter. Because Peter is writing to a Christian audience, both Jews and Gentiles. And so I want to bring it into that perspective. And we've already read this several times during this this series. But I, I want to ground it in a New Testament sort of context. Because here's what Peter says in the second chapter. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Talking about that amazing redemption that God has given his people. He goes on and says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And because you have received this mercy, he goes on to tell him, This is the way I want you to act. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so there in sort of a summation, Peter is calling on those who have been redeemed to recognize that when you say to the Lord, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, that in that process, you become a child of holiness and you are called. In fact, you are commanded to be holy. And that's what we're going to try to figure out exactly what that means. So with that, let's move on to look at the text as Peter gives it to us, starting in the 14th verse. Notice what he says first, as obedient children. Now notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, please be obedient children. I I want you to be obedient children. Because of all the, the, the redemption that God has brought you, please be obedient children. No, he assumes, he states it as a fact, as obedient children. So basically what he's saying there is that if you are saved, if you are the Lord's, if you have been transformed, if you have been, if you are a new creation, then it is completely assumed that you are an obedient child. Obedience is at the very heart of what it means to strive for holiness. It's also at the very heart of what love means. And we'll come back to that a little bit later on. But we become children, and I love that association. We become children of God through the act of redemption. Paul puts it this way to the Galatians. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption 
as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. What an awesome picture of of God's imminence. That not only can we have relationship with this transcendent God, but we also can call him Abba Father because of the redemption that Christ has given us. And so Peter is saying, because of that redemption, you're called, you're commanded to be holy. And so he he states it this way. He says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. I love that, that phrase. First of all, the word conformed is a relatively, well, it's a very rare word. It's only used twice in the New Testament. And the other place that it's used, you're probably familiar with, comes out of Romans 12. And Paul says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, that word conformed, it it actually means to be molded, to be pressed into a mold. And so basically what Peter is saying, do not be pressed into the mold of your former passions of ignorance. But rather, as Paul says, be renewed in your minds. Be pressed into the mold of the kingdom. I love the way that Peter expresses himself. It means the same thing that Paul means when he says, do not be conformed to this world. But Peter says, to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, some of you I know have been Christians since you were three years old. And, you know, even though you know you're sinful, you, you didn't spend times in the passions of ignorance. Well, there's some of you I know are like me, and you can remember what it was like to be driven by the passions of ignorance, and you realize that that was an absolute ignorance of the reality of things. Uh, I can tell you that a way not to make friends and influence people among pagans is to say, I used to be driven by the passions of my ignorance just like you, but now I am conformed to the, um, to the Lord <laughs> in, in um, a, a brand new way. I'm a new creation in Christ. Now, What we have here, and this is going to bring this into its association with our discussion of holiness, because all along we have been talking about this relationship that we have or that God has, the fact that he is transcendent, but he is also imminent. Going back to the burning bush, we seem to always return there, but we remember that the fact that God was in the bush showed his imminence, but the fact that he was not burning up the bush showed his transcendence. And we use the phrase, he was in the bush, but he was not of the bush. And then last Sunday, we took that phrase and we applied it to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is in the world, but it is not of the world. Well, tonight, I want to take that same phrase and apply it to each one of us who calls Jesus Christ Lord. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And that is a vital aspect to understand and remember as far as our quest for holiness is concerned. 
You may have picked it up in that passage I read you earlier from the second chapter of Peter when he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. That means you don't belong here. This is not where your citizenship is. When you accept Christ, you, your citizenship is transferred from this sewer to the paradise where God lives in heaven. And that's where your citizenship is. So as sojourners and exiles, he says, do not uh, conform yourself or um, do, do not abstain or uh, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul and because we've had we've just been studying John you may remember in that 17th chapter in that high priestly prayer how Jesus over and over again made this point that, that I'm not of this world my kingdom is not of this world he says in the 14th verse I have given them your word talking to his father and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one they are not of the world just as I am not of the world So in other words, and we've talked about this quite a bit, the Lord came down and saved us and consecrated us and set us aside for the Lord's purposes, and then he left and left us here in the sewer. But he left us here for a reason. We talked about this on Sunday. Our reason is to go out and find those who are indeed citizens of heaven. They just don't know it yet because they're running in in the world, and they think that they're mighty good sewer rats, but they need to be found and rescued, and that's the work of the kingdom. To, to be working in this world. But there's something that is of the utmost important, brothers and sisters. And this is a lesson that the church needs to learn. The fact that we have been left in this world, that we have been left in the sewer, does not mean we act like the sewer or that we bring it into um, uh, to our churches. We still are called, commanded to pursue holiness, even though we are in a world that doesn't even know what that word means. And so we need to concentrate in our Christian life upon what it means to be holy. Well, that's what Peter goes on when he says this in the 15th and 16th verse. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And I know that many of you recognize this. That's kind of a paradox, isn't it? We are we, commanded to do something that we can't do. We'll, we'll never achieve perfect holiness in this world. Now, there are a lot of people who think that we will, starting with Pelagius and then Arminius and many Arminians. John Wesley and most of the pastors in America today would say, no, God would not have, uh, have commanded us to be holy if we could not in some way achieve that. But for goodness sakes, probably one of the holiest men I know in the New Testament is Paul. Okay, after Jesus and the apostles, but Paul was a holy man. And he said, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And so we see that it is not a possibility for us to be holy. But does that mean we stop trying? 
Does that mean that we don't make an effort? Does that mean that that is not our goal, our destination? That is not something that we spend every single day attempting to do. No, it doesn't mean that. It is not meant as an exercise in futility. It is not meant just as something to frustrate you. But it is rather meant as the guidelines of sanctification because God has commanded his people to be holy. And so you say, well, if I can never achieve holiness, why would I try? I'll give you three good reasons. Number one, God commanded you. It's right here in Peter and Leviticus, Old and New Testament. You are under the command of God to be holy as he is holy. Secondly, because it pleases God. You see, in a New Testament context, we know that we're forgiven. We read those Ten Commandments and we said this reminds us of what we have been forgiven, what we have been saved from and released from. And so that is glorious. But we are also shown that the greatest commandment that we have is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you love God, you want to please Him. And if you are saved, brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. If you are saved, you love God. If you don't love God, you're not saved, period. And so you have a desire to please him. And that's the, the second reason. The third reason is it is the best practice for a human being. It's the best life that you can live. To be conformed, not to the world, not to the, to the, the template of the world, and pressed into a mold, but to be conformed, pressed into the mold that scripture gives us in Jesus Christ. And so we have a paradox, but we have the solution for that paradox. Now, I know, I know that it's one thing to say, be holy as God is holy. And it's another thing to actually be able to do it. And so I want to do two things just very briefly as we sort of plot out our course for next year. I'm I'm not talking, trust me, I'm not talking about New Year's resolutions because nobody keeps them. I'm talking about a real conviction that the pursuit of holiness is something that, we, that we, we want in our worship and we want in our lives and we want in every aspect of our being. And, and, and so therefore, I think it would be a good exercise to just spend a few minutes tonight talking about, well, what does it mean to be holy as a Christian living in the world that we live in? And what's a good way for us to get started along the path towards that holiness? Well, I want to bring out three aspects of what it means to be holy. First of all is what I'm going to call Christian piety. Um, Call it Christian ethics if you want, but it is to seek the mold that is given to us by Christ. We have this this mold that is created for us in, 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 in Scripture. And so to be pressed into that mold is to pursue Christian piety. Well, I can tell you for a fact, and most of you already know this, that if you pursue Christian piety or kingdom ethics, biblical ethics, you're going to find yourself in contention, if not confrontation, with the culture because the culture despises Christian ethics, greatly maligned, old-fashioned, small-minded, not tolerant. All of the ethics of Scripture are, are being demonized at this point. In fact, one of, the, one of the words that is used quite often to describe Christian ethics or Christian piety is, well, you're being puritanical. You're, you're being like those Puritans. 
And of course, in our culture, Puritans have been demonized, but I'm kind of like Charles Spurgeon, because Spurgeon would quip, if you said anything about the Puritans, his question to you would be, so what's wrong with being a Puritan? What's bad about that? I'm a Puritan, and I'm very happy about it. Because the Puritans sought Christian piety not because they were trying to be justified by their works, not because they were trying to earn brownie points with God, not because they were expecting God to give them something back for their piety, but because they loved God and they wanted to walk with him and they wanted to be closer to him and they wanted to be pressed into the mold of Scripture. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, during the time of the Puritans, there were some amazing saints walking very close with the Lord, so close that we we don't see the likes of them these days because they were not willing to compromise. They wanted to be molded to to be a child of holiness. And so therefore, um, to be... to, to be molded in that way in, in Christian piety is one of the things. You know, something we haven't really talked about as far as this study is th- the problem that we have right now with ethics. Um, many people think that ethics and morality are the same thing, but actually they're quite different. Ethics speaks of a, a standard by which people live, a standard of behavior that you judge yourself against. Morality speaks of the way you actually live. Another way of putting that is ethics talks about how you should live, while morality speaks of how you do live or how you measure up to the ethical standards. Now, for centuries in Western civilization, the ethical standard of Western uh, society has been the Bible. It has been Christian ethics, Christian piety. That's the standard. Now, you may deviate from that standard, and that's your morality. And unfortunately, it happens both inside and outside of the church. But that has been the standard by which we have considered our ethics. But that has changed. That's gone, folks. We live in a post-Christian culture now. In fact, one of the problems that we face is that we don't have any ethics. Ethics have been destroyed. In fact, they have been demonized because toleration is the only maxim of this culture. And so therefore, morality is driven not by a standard of ethics, not by what God said, but by whatever the whims of the populace are. Whatever the people want, whatever the culture wants, whatever Hollywood wants, whatever Washington wants, whatever the court system wants, whatever Madison Avenue wants, that is what is defined as morality. No ethics whatsoever. And unfortunately, what's happening in our lifetime is we are seeing the tables turned to where those who abide by a Christian ethic are actually being demonized now as immoral. Because some of what God calls us to do. Well, brothers and sisters, if you are a child of God, if you are a child of holiness, your standard, your ethics are Christian ethics. They're the ethics of Scripture. They're the ethics of the Word. They're the ethics of Christ. Those are our standards. And we want it to be pressed or molded into those standards. 
So the first thing that I think that we can, we need to accomplish or realize is that we are called to Christian ethics. We're also called to be set apart. And that's the very definition of what it means to be holy. And you know that. And so just the definition of what it means to be holy says you're set apart. So therefore, the idea that you could be conformed pressed into the mold of the passions of your former ignorance is absolutely diametrically opposed to what it means to be holy. So let me give you a principle. It is impossible. It is impossible to be holy and to be conformed to the culture at the same time. If you conform yourself to this world, if you bring the world into the church, if you try to accommodate the world, if you water down the ethics of Scripture so that you can accept what the culture says is you are not pursuing holiness. They're in absolute opposition to each other. You can't be in the world and be holy at the same time. So what are we to mold ourselves to? Well, Jesus told us when he was once again in his high priestly prayer, and we studied this. Jesus said of his disciples, sanctify them in truth. Truth is the mold that we are to be pushed and molded into. Sanctify them in truth. So where do we find truth? Jesus went ahead and said, your word is truth. And so it is in the word of God that we find the ethical standards that we are to be molded into if we want to be holy. That's the definition of what holiness means, to be set apart towards God's way of doing things and God's way of thinking things. Jesus said it beautifully in his Sermon on the Mount when he simply said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Pursue his Perfect, transcendent holiness in all the things that you want. Everything else will be added unto you. That's the, that's the guideline for holiness, is to be pressed into the mold that we find in Scripture. And finally, this isn't an exhaustive list. Obviously, this is more of a meditation than it is an exposition. But it's, the last thing would be obedience, absolute, complete obedience. You are called to be a child of obedience. We always go back to that, don't we? It was the foundation of love, and we see that it's pretty much the foundation of a pursuit of holiness, of sanctification as well. Absolute, complete obedience to the will of God and a real desire to achieve that will. James said it very poignantly. In fact, if you've been part of that study of James that we've been having on Sunday night since we haven't been having Sunday school, you know that James in his second chapter makes it absolutely clear that if your faith does not manifest itself in works, and he might as well just say manifest itself in Christian ethics, in Christian piety, in the works of holiness. If your faith is not generating those kinds of works, it's a dead faith. It's no faith at all. And you can't say you're saved if you have no desire to pursue the holiness of God. The idea of a carnal Christian is an absurd aberration of Scripture. Because you have this desire, this burning desire to do what the Lord calls you to do and to follow his will. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And of course, we know that Jesus said in his upper room discourse, If you love me, you will do what? 
keep my commandments. Obedience is right at the very foundation of what it means to love Christ and what it means to pursue holiness with God. So those are just three things, three ideas of what it means to be holy. Now, how do you go about it? Where do you start? And, and, and I'm sorry to be a broken record, and, I, and I'm, I'm not going to go off on a, another sermon here because I, I just want to list these. Where I think the, the best place to start is exactly where Scripture tells us to start. You, you see, we don't need to create a new wheel. We don't need to do things differently. We just need to do things God's way. And God has given us what we call the means of grace. And the means of grace are a marvelous place to start because you can start at any level. Four of them that we can discuss real, real quickly. First of all, serious Bible study, brothers and sisters. I don't mean just reading through it casually and thinking about something else while you read it and do you know, your set number of, of, of chapters or whatever. But I'm talking about serious study of God's words, both individually by yourself alone with just you and the Bible and maybe some commentaries and also in a group if you can possibly arrange it. Because in a group, you have questions, you sharpen each other. Usually, you come up with new ideas. So study, serious study of the Bible. Boy, that is a great place to start. Serious prayer life, a serious approach to praying with the Lord, both individually, by yourself, and if possible, in a group. Because there is, a, there is a grace that occurs when brothers and sisters gather together to, to, to pray together. I'm hoping to reinstitute our, our second Sunday prayer service as soon as the new year gets here. But if you can possibly arrange it, pray with others. But if you can't pray with others, pray, pray, pray by yourself. Thirdly, serious worship. Take your worship so seriously. First of all, individually. Because your whole life should be an act of worship. There should never be a time. Because God is with you all the time. God is walking with you. He is always there. Everything that you do and everything that you say and everything that you think should be an act of worship. So worship Him seriously, individually and independently. But also, and this is also important. I know it's a challenge right now. I know that there are many obstacles in the way, but corporate worship, gathering together, as Scripture tells us, Scripture's smart, it is wise, and it tells us that we need to gather together to worship Him. And then finally, to seriously take the sacraments, to take baptism, and as we're going to enjoy tonight, to take the time of communion with the Lord in the Lord's Supper, to take it seriously, because it is a means of grace. It is a way to grow. It is a way to be sanctified, because Jesus promises us that he is here in his spirit when we gather to take the elements of of the Lord's Supper, which we will do in just a moment. But let me just leave you with this thought. If you have indeed accepted Jesus as your Savior and you're going to take this communion in a few minutes, then you are a child of holiness. See, it comes with it. It's not something you attain. That when you accept Christ, a command is upon you. Because I am holy, God says, you be holy. You you strive for holiness. Now, I know that you can't do it. You can't complete it. But that is our quest. That is the quest of sanctification. Because... As a child of holiness, you're a child of God.
The child of God, that means you're a brother or a sister of Christ. That you have been made an heir of the kingdom and its resources through Jesus Christ. It means that you are a prince or a princess of the kingdom of heaven in the here and now and the not yet. And that the ethical standard that Jesus left and that the Old Testament established before that, the moral heart of God, is something you should adore and cherish and pursue. Because that is what God has commanded us to do. Be holy, even as I am holy. And that's what it means to be a child of holiness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your instructions in your word. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have to observe now this time of communion. We thank you that you sent your son to die on a cross for us. But we know that this is more than just a time of remembrance. It is a time that he is here in his spirit. And nothing happens to these elements. We know that. But we know that your son will be here in his spirit, that the Holy Spirit walks these halls as we take this, this communion. We do it in his honor. We do it in his name. We do it in remembrance of what he did for us. And we do it in anticipation that he will come again and take us to himself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.